0: continuing our series um, talking about the the internal attributes that we have that people don't see but end up affecting uh, what people do see Um, we're just looking we could be a we could make a year out of this series we're just looking at a a few of them but uh, 2,000 years ago when or longer or slightly more recent, when technology was inferior, uh, people still need to store food and do things, and so uh, pottery was a little bit more common. Uh, We don't use pottery really that much today, but that was the primary method of storage without refrigerators. Well, in any age... As you might guess uh, there are various levels of your quality and uh, I suppose if you want just your basic dish you know your your dollar store version will suffice it just has to hold something however if you wanted something that stored water or if you wanted you know something that was a little bit more airtight no, things had to have a, a little bit higher degree of quality and so, also in any age, there are people who will try to make a buck. That's just kind of, that's always been a thing. And so, in the markets, if you went to Greece or if you were in Rome or somewhere, there were, um, there were people who tried to make the profit. Am I not on? Someone's telling me I'm not on. I'm on, on. Okay. How am I doing now? All right. I'm on now, so if you can't hear me, it's not my fault. Um, so you would go to a market, a lot, lot like now, and, or a store, and you go to a Walmart, and uh, you go to Amazon, and you look down through the list of things, and, and, and you find the cheap knockoff version. That looks almost identical, um, but, but it's not quite the same quality. And um, back then, you would, you would find that there were people that, however, trying to sell and pass something off as the same price. And just kind of using the difference to, to, to raise their profit margins and so um, one of the things that they were doing uh, was they would make a, a inferior pot and it would come out and it wasn't quite maybe it wasn't quite uh, uh, kiln dried as long or maybe the clay was an inferior quality or something in the process they'd cut corners and, and so what they would end up doing is they would, they would take wax and they would rub it with wax to fill in cracks, and that would make it at least temporarily waterproof. Of course, you'd have it home. And, and as you wash it and st- slowly and surely, that wax wore off, and, and all of a sudden you're left with, a, with an inferior product that can't do what it was meant to do. And so they began, some, some merchants who were honest merchants said, you know, our, our reputation is being tarnished because we're in the same open markets as these people. And people are just, you know, assuming now, now they're not wanting to pay the, the price for the quality product. And so they started stamping the bottom of, of their pottery. And someone started doing this with the phrase that says, without wax. You know this phrase today. It's sinicera. It's the root for our word sincere. This is sincere, wax, or sincere pottery. It's without wax. And, and this is the idea that we're going to be talking about sincerity today. An internal thing that, that affects so much that we, we will see. I want to distinguish. We, we started off talking about integrity, and I want to distinguish a little bit between integrity and sincerity. Integrity has to do a little bit more with honesty, and, and truly sincerity and integrity cross over. There's, there's a little bit of sincerity issues, as we see in this illustration. There were people who were not necessarily uh, the highest integrity, so, so there is some crossover. And that is the common approach to sincerity. Um, Philippians 1.17 would be a, a, a verse that, that illustrates this, prob- this particular problem, the integrity problem of sincerity. He talks about, uh, Paul's talking, he says, the former proclaimed Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but, but thinking to afflict me in my prison. And so he's talking about people who have negative motives and, and bad motives. And that obviously is a concern. Now as you're sitting there, now I'm not gonna this is not the angle we're gonna take today. And if I were to, it might cause one of two responses to those sitting here. One would be, does Andrew think that there's an epidemic of deceit in this congregation? And no, that would not be accurate. The other result would be that if that's the angle I took, everyone would go, that was a nice sermon, but it really didn't. Touch me. That that really doesn't apply to me because we're not all full of deceit and insincerity here, right? So how do we talk about this in a way that is applicable? And so what I want to do is to look at the other types of cracks that appear in character that aren't necessarily from a malicious or a deceitful uh, aspect, and there are several, the tendencies that are common to people things that over time just just the way we we are as people tend to happen to us that we still need to be vigilant about personal obstacles to sincerity do not come from negative or uh, ulterior motives so I want to look at um, one this is one called people-pleasing, and that, and that sounds negative. You hear that phrase, it sounds negative. But I want to look at this from, a, again, a, a slightly different perspective. Colossians 3.22, bond servants, he says, Obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people-pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. And so, so there is a, a negative aspect here where you would have servants that, that do what they are technically supposed to do as long as the boss is watching them, but they're not sincere because as soon as he's gone, Right, they're not interested in pleasing the master. That that would be the negative aspect. But I want to look at this from a different <clears throat> aspect, and um, I want to look at the fine line here between between where it, where it goes from negative to where it's where it's maybe positive. In this here, we see a double character. Right, that there's a double character of a servant or of anyone who would be a a people pleaser in this sense, but. There's a different character. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse tw- 22, he says, To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. And I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. Now, is that, a, is that the same thing as people-pleasing? Well, it's a kind of a people-pleasing, isn't it? What makes this acceptable, in Paul's case, is that he has one character, he's applying it differently in the different situations that he's in. And, and, and so, so both are different applications of, of the idea of people-pleasing. It's not necessarily the people-pleasing that's the wrong. It's not the desire to make a person happy that's the wrong thing. It's the application. One person becomes a different person in different settings because of their focus on making other people happy. And so, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> where we get off the track is, I think uh, mentioned in Colossians chapter 2, verse 16. He says, therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in, equation, uh, in questions of food or drink or with regard to a festival or new moon or Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reasons by his Sensuous mind. And and in this situation, what Paul is describing is that there there were people that were letting what other people's people's expectations were controlling what they were doing and what they were saying. And when people's, what, what other people want for me or from me, when that becomes so important to me, I can without knowing it, without being malicious or without being negative or with with, with having wonderful intentions, almost intentions like Paul, wanting to make people happy, wanting to try to smooth things over and, 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 and promote unity and all these things that are good in a person and good desires. I can let other people control me in their expectations. And so it's important for us to, to understand that the character inside has to be consistent. We've talked about consistency before. That has to remain. And there can be as, there can be as many applications as I want, just so long as the character doesn't change. You see that how easy that that noble tendency in me can just shift, just subtly, and create a crack. I'm I'm not discarding the idea of others' happiness, but rather I'm trying to redirect it into doing what I do for their spiritual benefit. My goal is to see them happy in the long term. And that only happens if I give them something of substance. I want to talk about self-preservation. In James chapter 5, verse 16, He says, Therefore confess your sins one to another and pray for one another, that you may be healed. And the prayer of a righteous person has great power and it's working. This is one of the difficult, most difficult statements or requirements in the entire New Testament. Maybe the most difficult. It is difficult enough for us to admit to God our shortcomings. To admit to other people my shortcomings is not something that comes easy. What makes this so difficult? Is it our distant culture? Is it our feeling of vulnerability? Right. Now, I suppose it's not a cult, it's simply a cultural thing because I doubt that this has ever been incredibly popular. But there's something else I think that impedes. And we've spent a lot of time. I've spent a lot of time filling in my cracks. All right. I come to, to church. I'm a highly polished person. I've buffed out all those things. Now I can be polishing, you know, 30 seconds before coming in, right? We can have had just a knockdown dragout, you new know, discussion with the discussion with the kids or, or, or with the wife or with the husband, and we, we roll in, and then, boom, that door, and I'm, I'm doing the high-speed buff, right, as we walk in the door. I'm good at polishing the wax. And to, 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 to have that removed to where you say, wait a second, everything you've thought for the last seven years since you've known me is, is not exactly what you think. That, that, that's hard because I've got a lot of layers built up there. It's difficult. Again, it's it's not necessarily out of bad motives, it's not necessarily from a an intent to deceive. I don't want you to think bad things about me. I don't none of us wants to feel that. Oh, what will they say about me? What would they think? Now I want you to notice some things about this text here in James. He says confess your sins to one another. We have th- th- over the thousands of years there's this idea that that this is uh, you know this is some group coming and, and uh, or some setting where you come and grovel for, you know, approval from other people and that's not the setting. That's not the situation. This is a kind of a mutual thing. It's an interesting setting that he's encouraging here. It's different. It's for the purpose of spiritual healing. He says, do this so that you can be healed. That's the purpose. It's so you can be healed. It's not so you can judge one another. It's not, that's not the reason. And, and I think that's, that's why we're hesitant, because we're, we're afraid of judgment. And so, and so we, we fill in the cracks because we're afraid of what something could be. There's one more I want to look at, and that is obligation. Obligation can be a, a cause, a, a, a crack in our... This is kind of like expectation. Uh, I think probably all of us can remember a moment in our past when you were a kid... And you've done something, I don't know what, I still remember, I still remember stealing a motorcycle. My, my friend had, he had a new set of four toy motorcycles and it had a Honda, Suzuki, a Yamaha, and I forget the other one, uh, Kawasaki. And they, were, they, were, they were beautiful, they're all really highly polished and everything, and I just wanted one. I just wanted one, I didn't have one. And so I was trying to sneak it into my pocket to get it home. Well, I got caught. And, uh, and, and Joel wasn't happy. And uh, his mother wasn't happy. That was for sure. And so uh, I don't remember if I got a spanking. There's a good chance of that. But, uh, but I do remember, the part I remember is the apology. I was forced to apologize. But I didn't feel like apologizing. I was doing this out of obligation. I didn't feel it. And we, we do that with our kids. We say, now you apologize. right? You see that with kids? And we feel satisfied. They, they, they fulfilled the obligation. Good. All right. That's done. We move on. And we have sometimes, I think obligation is a crack in, in, our, in our lives that we just, I've filled it in, we've done it, we're good, let's go. Now there are times where I don't want to apologize because I don't think I'm wrong. But I'm apologizing just so they'll leave me alone, or I'm apologizing because I'm required to, whatever the, the thing may be. I'm just apologizing, maybe I'm a big boy now, and I'm just apologizing so, you know, someone will get off my back. Okay, I'm sorry. Not really sincere, is it? It doesn't come from sincerity. It's kind of a good motive. I want peace in the house, or I want whatever. I want to fulfill an obligation, and I know I'm supposed to do it. There is in this a distinction between the knowledge and emotion. There's, there's that, I know I'm supposed to, but I just don't feel it. I hate, there's a phrase, and I hate the phrase. I despise the phrase, fake it till you make it. I, I hate that because that, that is insincerity. Fake it till you feel. It. No, that is insincerity. But knowledge and emotion are not mutually exclusive. I want you to look at Romans chapter 1, 14 to 15. It says, I am under obligation, both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you who are also in Rome. He had an obligation. Paul had an obligation to do something, but that did not mean that in his obligation he was not happy to do it. Isn't that interesting that obligation and our emotion can both be involved? Was he ever apprehensive? Yes. Was he ever apprehensive about a situation in which he was required to do something? I'm sure. And in those cases, he even said, woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. If I have to sacrifice the emotion or the knowledge, then then you better go with what you know to do. That, that I suppose is true. But we don't have to sacrifice the two. I want to look at another preacher. I want to go through the life of, of another preacher or the event, one event in the life of this preacher in the Old Testament. And Jonah, <clears throat> to me, reveals this, this divide between heart and mind. The, the knowing of what you need to do and sometimes not feeling it. And, and I think Jonah gets kind of a negative rap sometimes. We, we end up with a negative view of Jonah and I, I think it's, it's largely fair. But, but I think there's an there's a aspect of it that, that we, we turn Jonah into a completely awful individual and that's not the case. The event that we know of in Jonah's life is one that occurs. And it occurs at the at the end of his life. He's been a prophet for a long time in this event. And we're going to just kind of skip through some verses here and illustrate this divide. And we begin in chapter 1, verse 2 and 3. Where God tells him, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and speak out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose, and he he fled to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. And he paid the fare and went down to it, went to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Now, um, from all indications, this is actually in Spain. I want you to think of being in Israel... And fleeing to Spain. Now that's almost due west, a little bit north of west. He was asked to go a little north of east. (laughs) He went almost 180 degrees in the opposite direction, thousands of miles. Or he was intending to go thousands of miles. He did not get there. But he reveals the divide of his heart and his mind in one sense here, he knows, he processes, this isn't like I'm accidentally going thousands of miles the other direction, he has in his mind, as a prophet, as an experienced prophet, as an old prophet, he understands the expectation, but there's obviously something in his heart, he actually doesn't really describe here, he comes back later at the end, we're going to kind of come back around and he explains at the end what his what his I guess problem was what that internal flaw the crack was now in the same chapter verse 10 through 12 it says the men here he's on the ship we know the story the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him what is it that you've done now they've been they've, this whole, through this whole process they've been trying to save the ship they've even been trying to save him They've been jettisoning cargo uh, and saying, no, 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 no. We're we're going to try to find another way. Everybody pray to your own God or whatever. And so, so they're coming down to the fact that they're narrowing it down to him. The men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. And they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may be quiet for us? The sea grew more and more tempestuous. And he said to them, pick me up. And throw me into the sea. Then it will be quiet for you, I know, because it's because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. His heart is partially engaged. Now his mind is clearly engaged. He's got some honesty, so so it's not he's not having struggles with integrity. It's weird. He's got some sincerity problems, but he's not having integrity problems. He's telling them straight out listen, I'm the cause. And, and, and quite frankly, you're actually going to have to throw... He, now he doesn't jump over. You know, he doesn't do that. He's like, I'm going to need you to do this for me because I can't do this. But you're going to have to throw me overboard. And then it will be quiet for you. But, but even in that, he tells them not just that it's... It, listen, uh, I can't tell you why, but it, it's me and, and here's the steps. He tells them specifically... He is open, 100% honest with them exactly why they're having this struggle. It's because I'm running from my God. Like, okay, that's not a really a wise solution. That's not really what you should do. Some sincerity problems, but at least he's being honest about it. So it's kind of opposite. A lot of times we expect the lack of integrity with a sincere feeling, but he's got an emotional block somewhere. Well, he's got the mind right. Maybe that has to do with the fact that he's a prophet. And he he can't remove himself from understanding God in terms of God's expectation. And he shows empathy for them. Isn't this interesting that he shows empathy for these people on this ship, but he can't show empathy for the people that God wants to save. And it's like, I, I can go, I can show empathy for this group of people. And we do this. We, we, we have empathy for certain kinds of people, but those people, I don't know about those people. And we can do the same thing. These are cracks that can that can show up in, in our own character. So he's not a totally evil guy. I dare say In, in our, if he was dressed up and came in with his same character, we would, we would feel fine with Jonah sitting down right amongst us. We wouldn't go, oh my goodness, that's an evil Jonah guy. Jonah began to go on a city, into the city. So we're now in chapter 3. We're, we're after the fish or whatever. And, and uh, he called out, 40 days, is overthrown. That was what he was told to say. And he didn't embellish. He had a very limited, I mean, chapter 3 is his repentance. It's a very touching, moving poem. But it was, in terms of how far it got into his heart, it was, it was limited. He's complying. That's the, the uh, obligation part that we're talking about. He, he's understanding the obligation. I'm, I'm going to comply with what you expect of me, but I'm going to do no more than that. You've told me to tell these people that they're about to die, and that's what I'm telling them. I'm not going to encourage them to, you know, change their ways. I'm not going to encourage anything. This is the message. I'm doing the bare minimum. And and so there's still this limited, and and we see the the limit between what what his heart is allowing him to do in response to what he knows to do. He's moving slowly, I suppose. Chapter 4, verse 1, and we're going to skip verse 3. We're going to come back, back to verse 2 for a reason. It says, It displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. So therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Now this is following the end of the chapter of 3, where the people repented. Now, Jonah never told them to repent he said you're gonna die and they said hmm they a Gentile people one of the worst cities on the planet known at the time concluded maybe maybe we will have a chance of not they believed them a different deity okay Maybe we have a chance if we repent. But God said, wow. They figured that out on their own. And they do. They, they repent. And God says, I'm not going to destroy them. A lot of times we, 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 we act as though, or, or we have this interpretation of the fourth chapter of Jonah as though Jonah doesn't know what's going to happen. He sets out under, God makes this plant grow up and, and uh and, and he sits down to watch. We're going to look at that in a second. To watch this event unfold. But he knows ahead of time that they've already repented. And he's upset with the fact that they've <clears throat> repented. He's personally offended. Can you imagine that? I've seen this. I sat in a class. We've used this illustration. I'm sure it's not. I sat in a class in 1997, and uh, someone was talking about the conversion of Jeffrey Dahmer. It was a Wisconsin preacher, Roy Ratcliffe, I believe his name is, that baptized him in prison. And I... I I remember the story you know when I was in I think I was just barely in college when that happened. And uh and, and here I didn't know the the rest of the story. And and we were in a class, an adult class Wednesday night, and one of the elders was was sharing this story and there were like two or three people like no, that, that it probably was a fake conversion. Like they didn't want to let their mind acknowledge that that could possibly be authentic. But they just didn't want. They didn't. They were personally offended that God would allow salvation for that person. Manuel Noriega was baptized in prison. Same deal. Some people are just not good enough for heaven. And, and Jonah had that perception. I am personally offended that you're going to let this group of people repent like, like our people repent. Jonah 4 or 5, he went out to the city, sat on the east, made himself a booth. There he sat under it in the shade, so as a tent. To see what would become of the city. Maybe. Just maybe. Now, now he knows the people have repented. And he knows as a prophet how God deals with people who repent. And there's just a sliver of hope. Maybe, just maybe God will say, Okay, you've repented, but still you're going to burn. Isn't that? This is what happens as a result It's not that he's a totally bad guy. It's just he's not fixed a few of the cracks that that divide between emotions and the obligation that he understands, that knowledge. And and so what happens as a result of this is that he has a limited role. What do I mean by that? This is where the story ends. This is how we leave Jonah. Jonah. There's no good ending. Now there's all sorts of conjecture. Who wrote the book of Jonah? Did did Jonah repent later of this and, and, and realize somebody wrote the book of Jonah? Either Jonah told somebody or, or Jonah wrote it and was not flattering to himself, which would indicate that, you know, maybe he kinda had second thoughts about this, you know, prior to dying. I, I don't know. But at least in this story, his role is limited. He doesn't have the the accolades. He doesn't have the great like God is like, okay, I, I used this guy. I was capable to use him. And this is this is the important part here. A lot of times we think that if if we're not a hundred percent that I can't, you know, or let me say it a different way. That that if that if I'm being effective, that means that it must be evidence that I'm, I'm, I'm all in and I'm, everything's fine with me. No, God was effective with a guy who wasn't all in. Being effective has nothing but, but is a limited amount of the story that I can be a part of. And most of all, Jonah was not able to enjoy what he was a part of in whatever way he was a part of it, he was not able to enjoy it. He robbed himself because of that one crack, because of that failure to connect what Paul connected, obligation and the emotion. Someone said this week, I heard the quote, It's like swallowing poison, hoping your enemy will die. It's not a logical thing, but that was Jonah. And so the story is largely told without Jonah being much a positive part of the story. It's one of those stories that's like, man, that could have been a lot better a story. I want to get back to a verse that we skipped. We're about to conclude here. And this is in between where he's being angry and making the the tent to watch their destruction it says he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, is this not what I told you when I was still in my own country? That's why I fled from Tarshish or to Tarshish, because I knew that you are a gracious God and you are merciful. You're slow to anger, and you abound in love, and you relent from disaster. I knew, that was, I knew what you were trying to do. I knew you were trying to save these people, and I just didn't want to be a part of that. That's the knowledge that he had. Wow. He just could not get his heart into that cause. He was only partially devoted to God's cause. He was devoted to that part of the, the cause that was the obligation. And so often we can serve out of a feeling of obligation. God wants us to do this. And we say that. For, you hear that phrase in sermons all the time. God wants us to. God wants us to. God wants us to. And, and we beat ourselves over the, the head with the obligation of it. And, and maybe that's the wrong. I mean, not that it should be absent. But maybe, we, maybe preachers take the wrong approach to Christianity and, and beating ourselves over the head with the obligation. You must. We're supposed to. Jonah knew the obligation. That was not his problem. That was not the crack. He not only knew the obligation of, of what activity was expected, he, knew he, he describes and defines the character. Of God. How many times have we ever heard, and oh, the God of the Old Testament is a God of judgment. And, and that's not the God that Jonah describes 700 some years before Christ. He describes a gracious, merciful, slow to anger, loving, relenting Savior. That's the God of the Old Testament. It's the same God of the New Testament. And he just couldn't let it into his heart. There was that disconnect. God is a merciful God and he doesn't have exceptions for those mercies that he extends he doesn't have people that are off limits from that regardless of their past and so obligation can end up becoming a crack so as I always conclude with a challenge this is not really a a challenge in, in a sense, but it's just kind of an observation. Sometimes you gotta do some quality control. To, to reanalyze where, where maybe a small sliver is. Not to polish with wax, but, but to repair. Because these things, as I say, these things appear naturally as a part of humanity. They're not things that, that are necessarily things that point us out as bad people. I don't think Jonah was a bad person. And I don't think any of these people were bad people. I think they were just people who had had some cracks and, and got used to polishing them instead of addressing them. But in the end, it, it, it can work the same. The entire vessel wasn't bad. It just compromised. And, and those compromises will defeat the function of the whole eventually. I can feel like I'm being sincere because I'm champion, championing a, a godly activity or a godly characteristic, and I may be. I can't. but insincerity is where there's a divide, where where something small, even from a good intention, can kind of undermine the good that I'm trying uh, to accomplish. Let's stand and sing.